Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. This is episode 783, my interview with Todd Herman, The Alter Ego Effect. Enjoy the show. Todd Herman, welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here. I am stoked for this conversation today. Yes, it's it's been a little while in the making, but we're here and um, I'm really excited. You've got a new book out, so we can talk about that. Uh, it's called The Alter Ego Effect. But before we even get there, Todd, tell us a little bit about your journey and, and you know your success in what you do. Well, I won't bore people too much with uh, the, the resume, but uh, to give people a little bit of context, uh, I, I, today I am sitting here in New York City. Uh, I'm not from here originally, but this is where I've been for about 13 years now. Lived all over the globe, but I started out in the beginning uh, growing up on a big farm and ranch in Western Canada outside of Calgary, Alberta. Okay. Um, Came from a bit of a rodeo family, I guess. And um, still into your rodeos? Uh, I am not uh, yet. Well, some of my family members are, but I saw very quickly that I had an older cousin who ended up winning the uh, world championship in bull riding. That wow. I was never, I was never going to be as good as him. So I was going to go find something else that I could be, <laughs> I could be better at. Um, and so, but so we come from a big sport family, and um, that's what sort of brought me into the sporting world that I've had a business in for now 22 years, but I was a really good uh, football player, had a bunch of football scholarships. Now I'm talking North American football for the uh, Europeans and Oceanics that are out there. But um, yeah, so I, I, you know, played sport at a high level and uh, ended up getting into the mental game coaching side of things after I got done playing really by accident. It was always my kind of strength. I'm not, I'm not a physically gifted human. I'm not like six, four and 240 pounds or something like that. But I always kind of maybe punched above my weight class a little bit. Um, and, and I, and I kind of fell into this world of sort of learning about the mind when I was very young mm. and, and I ended up finding and discovering just through some some different books, the kind of the biological process of how you find the zone and flow state, which is what, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're an athlete or whether you're an executive or whether you're a speaker on stage or something like that, the zone and the flow state is like that ultimate place to get to because it's where every single ounce of your capabilities comes flowing out of you in the moment without you restricting it with some sort of, you know, concerns of judgment and worry and criticism and, you know, holding yourself back in some way. So you and, uh, help people attune to this flow state. Exactly. So I went. So when I got when I when I finished playing sport, basically myself, I was volunteering at a high school, working with um, uh, a football team and yeah. on the defensive side. And I would spend more time talking to them about. I'm like, listen, you already work hard. Like you don't need to do any more cone drills or sprints. Like that's not going to be the thing that separates or, you know, boost your performance. It's the fact that you've got a really weak kind of inner game. You don't prepare very well. You don't have good routines. You don't set goals for yourself. Like, and, and I was sort of just giving them some of my, my strategies that I had used, which are all little gateways to help people get to the zone. Most people, they want to skip straight to getting to the zone. And I'm like, well, there's, there's certain pillars that we want to start building, which the likelihood of the zone happening now gets increased, you know, geometrically, if we just take care of these things. Hmm. And, um, and, and that's what I did. And it wasn't a business. It was just me doing it. And then, you know, these, these young athletes started getting some really great results. And uh, a good friend of mine in Canada, who's one of the biggest hockey trainers in the world, he reached out and was like, Hey, can you come in and talk to my kids about this stuff? And, you know, seem to know a lot about this and you can seem to break it down really well for them. And I was like, yeah, sure. And it, again, this wasn't a business. I had a completely other business that I'd started at the time. I was 21 mm -hmm. at the time. Yep. And, 
and then ended up. What was the other business? Young, uh, well, I had won an award up in Canada for uh, restaurant manager of the year for this big uh, company that I worked with. And so I started doing some consulting with hospitality, like restaurants and some hotels on how to, how to build like thriving cultures and teams, because that was kind of my a similar sauce. sort of game then, isn't it really? Cause you're yeah. still dealing with that, that mental it's game of, of anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's people. Yeah. Hmm. And, um, and I've always been, you know, I kind of, I, I, maybe I came by it very honestly. I got it from my mom in some way. She's a massive people person as well. And, um, I got to see, you know, ha- had a good mentor that way, but, um, Anyway, long story short, I, I I did a couple of workshops with my with my friends' big hockey academy in Canada, and again, those weren't even paid ones. I just did those because I just loved talking. I mean, a it, I mean, it gave me a chance to stay in sport, but I just like talking about it, and I was really really passionate about talking to athletes about what I called you know what I then started to, started to develop as the triune athlete, the mentally, emotionally, and physically tough athlete. That when you align all three together, that's when you get all of your capabilities out of you on whatever field of play you're on. And, and, and then parents started asking me to mentor their sons and daughters. And, you know, 22 years later, I've worked with, I mean, 76 plus different sports, um, hundreds of pro athletes around the globe, tons of different Olympic teams, Olympic Olympians, um, brought the system into the corporate world, ended up selling this big uh, training company that I built up to some oil companies, um, worked with tons of entrepreneurs and, and so kind of running the gamut because at the end of the day, you know, the six inches between the ears is the same landscape for everybody. Um, even though we've all had our own personal experiences, we've all got our own little, maybe, um, uh, uh, fingerprints of different pebbles that sit inside of our shoes that might stop us or annoy us or frustrate us. But navigating that landscape is is similar amongst everybody, and and so whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's an athlete, it's um it's it's the it's the place I like to go and live, and because mm. you know you remove you remove some sort of mindset block, you give someone a paradigm shift, and all of a sudden the emergency brake on performance gets placed straight back down to the floor, and now someone can allow all of their achievement capabilities to flow out. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, so lot, lots, lots involved in there, and, and certainly I can see, um, yeah, where where your work really uh, will inspire people, and it's around that mental ability. What what part mm-hmm. of um, whatever we do, whether it's you know being an, uh, an athlete or being an entrepreneur, what part is a mental game? Is it fifty percent, or is it more, or is you know, is there a level on that? Well, it goes it, it as you rise through the ranks of something, especially sport. Hmm. Uh, you know, when you're a young athlete, if you're just the bigger kid on the field, you can just be the bigger kid on the field and you can dominate, but that wears off over time. And all of a sudden other kids catch their growth spurts and hit puberty and all that. And now all of a sudden you're not the big kid on the playground anymore. And if you haven't done the work at a young age, now you're way behind. Whereas that's why I like finding those like young little scrappy kids that, you know, and which was actually me. I mean, I was always very short and small and I was always thrown on my older brother's sports teams and had to kind of fight for spots, but it gave me this, you know, I guess mental fortitude and, um, this grit and perseverance because my parents would never let me have it as an excuse that I was three years younger than the other kids on the team. Hmm. But I like finding those, those, those people who had to really scrap their way through because once, once the advantage of physicality finally hits you, boy, oh boy, does that ever become a, um, uh, you know, a rocket booster to performance for that young person. But, you know, as you, as, 
Yeah, as you get into the the pro ranks, that's the undiscovered country for every single one of them. It's the mental game, and it was very funny. Like, and I and I don't recommend this as a business practice, but when I got into doing what I was doing, this was 1997. Mental game coaches were not popular back in 1997. Uh, it wasn't really even a genre of of coaching. Almost there mm. were a hand there were a handful that were out. Yeah, well. yeah, there were a handful that were out there, but they all were in the pro world. But in the amateur world, there was none. And then it was really interesting because the the last sports to always innovate are your are your kind of big popular national sports say like footy in australia or rugby over here hockey basketball football um baseball all those kind of you know large spectator sports don't innovate as quickly as say downhill skiing as an example swimming downhill skiing and swimming had mental game coaches operating inside of them since the early 1980s uh is that because it's more individual or yeah individual sport um is a big part of it there's um typically a lot more national uh formula around the development of those sports as well whereas those big sports are almost privatized in some way um and so anyways, I, when I was, when I was getting into this, this world, I mean, I was trying to work with hockey players up in Canada cause that's where I was starting and that's where the money was in, in reality. I mean, no one was hiring mental game coaches and even in the pro world, no one was hiring mental game coaches typically, but then how did you get, in, how did you get in there and, and have people take you seriously starting out? Well, great question. Um, I, so once I did those first couple of workshops with my, uh, with my, my, my friend Eric at his mm. hockey academy and these parents started asking me, I was, I thought to myself, is this actually a business? Like, are these people asking me because they've gotten to know me and, and like me and they're kind of throwing Todd a bone type of thing. Plus I was exceptionally cheap <laughs> when someone said, uh, you know, Todd, would you work with my, uh, my son Kirby was my first client. Um, and, and I said, yeah, sure. I'd love to. And I was saying it, you know, as a, you know, love to do it for free. And she was like, great. Well, how much would you charge? And I was like, um, $75 for three sessions. And, uh, and she's like done. And so I was being paid $25 per session. They were all in home visits, by the way, and Canada, very much like Australia, What's very that probably a couple hundred dollars now. Um, no, it would be maybe $50 now. I mean, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, inflation has gone up that much, but it wasn't very much in the end when I factored it all out with my little quicken, um, income tax, uh, calculator, I was making about $8 and 56 cents an hour. Correct. Um, in my, but I was an entrepreneur. I was starting out. It's my business, but Anyways, I, so I sat there and I was like, is this actually a business? And I wasn't too sure what the answer was. And the, and the only skill that I felt like I really had as a marketable skill to take this kind of business out there was speaking. I was, I don't know if you guys have 4-H over in Australia, but 4-H is like agricultural Boy Scouts. It's something that I grew up with. And, and in 4-H, a part of the whole year long program is you have to do a, a a speech in a competition. And so I grew up since the age of 10 speaking was very used to it, comfortable with it. So I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to do as many speeches on this topic of the triune athlete in my province of Alberta, where I was from, um, in the next 90 days as I possibly can. I'm going to do as many as I can. And at the end of the 90 days, if I have clients, great. If I don't great, I just figured out that this thing isn't going to fly. And it only took me 90 days. That's cool. So I called up two people that I knew could book me for a speech and that, uh, that took me about 11 days, I think it was before I did my first talk. And by the end of the 90 days, I did 68 speeches around the province of Alberta. 
Right. Uh, and they were all free talks. And I ended every single talk the exact same way. And I just said, um, listen, I know a lot of you parents that are sitting in the back uh, have got other sons or daughters that are playing sports and uh, they're not here tonight, but um, I'm on a mission to spread this message of, uh, you know, the triune athlete, the mentally, emotionally, and physically tough athlete, because I, I know that if we can keep more young athletes playing sport for a longer period of time, we're going to be able to develop even more leaders to go out into the world. And we need more of that. So, um, you know, if you, if you'd like to come up and talk to me about getting me to come out and speak to their club, their sports team, their association or whatever, feel free. Or if you want to talk to me about working with your uh, son or daughter, I'm happy to discuss that as well. Cool. Um, just, but just so you know, once June 8th hits, um, I'm no longer doing any more of these free talks. They will go back up to their normal price of $2,500, which was, I mean, I just pulled that number out. I hadn't charged yet Must for anything, hmm. but, uh, but I had, you know, every single night, 33% of the people would come up and they would say, it's a great little for formula and, and great hustle. Very inspirational for, you know, young entrepreneurs yeah. out there. Yeah. And you know what? To this day, that exact same little pitch is used by one of the what people think is a high, the highest paid speaker, one of the highest paid speakers that's out there. And many speakers, like everyone thinks that, spe that this, the speaker that's on stage is definitely getting paid their rack rate of, and I'm, I can tell you that. A lot of us will come out and speak for free so long as we get in front of the absolute perfect crowd for us. And those people were my perfect crowd. Hmm. Uh, and it was a perfect formula because I did the one thing that I talk to you know entrepreneurial clients about and the people that I mentor and coach and in the programs that I have is the power of one thing, the power of focusing. I only did one activity. I didn't try to market myself in any other way other than speaking. That was it. Um, and it's a lesson that luckily I learned at a young age. And I've carried with me over over all of the different businesses the that I focus. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's a, yeah. there's a few things I'd like to talk about before I even get into the the new book yeah. that you've written there. But this triune, what do you call it? The triune athlete. Formula? The tri the tri the triune athlete. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So mental, emotional, physical. So those are the three things that you talk and, and coach people on um, to help them get close to a flow state. Is that correct? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Exactly. When so you can you break that down a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. So on the mental side of things, that's about getting, um, you know, that's, that's that kind of that narrative and that talk side of things. That's mm -hmm. also getting really clear about what you're, what you're about to go out and like, whether it's in competition, like what is your, what is your sole focus in that competition? I'll give you an example. So, um, in the game of golf, people, when, when you're playing a hole, there's, there's the, um, there's the strategy itself, which is how you're going to play the hole. So now your now your mind is getting, okay, well, and you always start at the end, you start at the, at the, at the cup itself. And then, you know, from the green, how are you going to be getting to the green? What's the shot that you want to be taking from like, where on the fairway would you be? And then how did that ball get to there? And so if you work your way back to now where you're standing, that's, that's how we work with um, golfers on the strategy. So really now, visualizing that, that process. Exactly. Game. Cause, cause now the mind has a very clear direction of where you want it to be going. Hmm. And, and because it's so teleological, which means goal seeking it, you've now just increased the likelihood 
that that is going to happen for you. doesn't mean that it's a definite, but you've increased the likelihood. And that's all we're trying to do in sport or in business is just anytime we can minimize risk, then let's do that. Any, any sort of action we can take to minimize risk and increase the likelihood and certainty that something's going to happen. Now what, now it ends up giving you what confidence Mm -hmm. and that's huge. So, um, and then the next one, so the next step is, okay, now what is your tactic or what is your, uh, goal for this particular shot now? How are you going to see it and visualize that thing happening? Well, the same thing goes in any sport. We want to lay out a strategy in our own head of, of how we're going to compete that day. That's the mindset side of things. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so getting clear about that is, is, is really important. And then of course we're navigating that with, you know, proper goal setting strategies, um, and, um, and proper, like basically focusing techniques, which we, you know, build up with different types of tools and exercises that help people with that. Cause most yeah. people, I mean, there's this terrible pervasive idea that, you know, everyone thinks there's their ADD. I mean, I'm a diagnosed ADD person and I'm, I've got dyslexia and have dyslexia all my life, but I would never use that as a crutch that I can't focus because focus is a frontal lobe activity. It's, you can learn it, you can train it. You can, I can train my brain on how to focus. Hmm. And it's certainly um, one of those skills that I feel that I've, I've been lacking a lot of in my life, the, you know, the ability to really focus because I'm easily distracted and easily, you know, go off here, go off there on tangents rather yeah. than just focusing on that one thing. Yeah. And sure. And so, and we'll talk about this when we get into the book about now, now you've made that a part of your identity hmm. and your identity is the ultimate, the ultimate, um, uh, compass, you right. know, inside yeah. of all of us, hmm. you're going to, you're going to, you're going to always act through that identity. Um, so anyway, so now on the emotional side of things, now it's about, okay, now it's building up the, the fire and the desire and, and each, each individual, each person has certain levers that propel their performance. Some people like, which goes against the grain of society. Rage is a really powerful way of activating someone's skills. Now that's not for everybody, but I have got a golfer on the PGA tour who activates rage when it comes down, like when, (laughs) when his back is up against the wall, rage is, is, is his great, great focuser. How does he activate rage? Oh, (laughs) I won't get into it because it would, it would actually, you, you would know who it is if I did, it wouldn't take very much digging, but but what's an an example of how one would activate rage? Just think about something that makes him really furious. Yeah. Well, you're going to, you're going to activate it with, typically some sort of personal slight that happened, um, to you by someone else, like mm. just that kind of, that kind of experience, or just the idea that there are people that are on the sidelines that are wishing that you fail right now. Um, that's, that's okay. an, another athlete. That's, that's what theirs is because they've kind of battled that all their lives. They had, they didn't have a really great support system around them growing up and they always felt like they were a kind of solo flyer, so to speak. And yep. You know, that idea that, you know, kind of watch out motherfuckers because it's game is on right now. So, um, yeah. yeah. And, and so anyway, so anyone has, everyone has their sort of emotional levers and you want to get so connected to that performance identity that you're taking now out onto that field of play, whatever it is, the emotional side is easily the most overlooked side in training. And, And the reason why it's overlooked is because most people who try to train people on the kind of inner game of life have a, have very few tools to help activate a strong emotional state with people. 
Well, that's really uh, what drives our activity then, isn't it, really? That that emotional connection. That, that, I mean, I sort of talk about the, the hidden why here and, and, you know, what's what's those underlying yeah. motivations and forces that drive us to do everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think of it this way, if, you know, we've got these. So, you know, it. what, what I love about my professional life is this whole triune thread has led through every single business that I've had. So mm-hmm. even in the business world, I still talk about the mental, the emotional, and the physical side of things. Um, the physical side is simply the way that you execute inside your business. What's yeah. your execution system that you have? You know, the, um, uh, and then when you think of when people are trying to make change happen, cause I mean, that's, that's why you're doing this podcast. You're trying to help people navigate change and, and really lead the, lead the lives that they've imagined for themselves mm-hmm. and, and want. And so even that term alone, lead the lives that they've imagined for themselves. It's not difficult for people to imagine themselves leading some sort of life or, or, um, living in some sort of way, acting in a new way, behaving in a new way. That's a mental game side of things. Okay. Mm. So now you've got clarity around that, but then what happens is it doesn't show up on the field of play of life, which is the action side. Okay. But why? And that's because those ideas have got to walk across the bridge of emotion to get it onto the field of play of action. Oh, okay. That's and, cool. and so, and so emotion is the connecting bridge between the world you see in your head and the world you want to hold in your hand. Never. Right. I mean, if there is one part of this podcast that everyone needs to hammer home inside their brain, it is that I'm telling you, cause when you get this, cause this is the, this is what I'm constantly reinforcing, you know, right after I get off the show with you today in about, 30 minutes afterwards, I'm talking to one of my pro athletes who's playing in the uh, NBA semifinals right now, right? And and this is the stuff that we are honing in on is this emotional sort of connection and bandwidth to help them succeed. And so it, that's truly what happens. And, mo- and, and even in science, this is proven by science, that the moment that you disconnect the, the, uh, the, the thinking side of the brain with the emotional decision um, activating side of the brain, it is impossible for someone to act on their idea. This has been proven out so many times with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's patients that anytime there was some sort of, you know, brain surgery done, if there was a disconnection made between the emotional self and the, and the mental self, the person can think to themselves, this is one case in particular, I'm hungry for a tuna sandwich, but they have a complete inability because there's no connection to the emotional Mm. side to get up and go make the tuna sandwich. So they will sit there and actually starve to death. Yeah. So, and this is such a great analogy to how most people are, how many people live is they are starving themselves to death without taking the actions that they want to go take. So that emotional connection, that bridge is so important. So I want to really, you know, elevate, escalate that connection point that you have with that. So how can you, I mean, on the show today, I'm sure this is what you do in your profession, but how can you give us some, some guidelines to really activate that emotional side and tap into that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, you talk about it, you talk about it enough is, is that, that hidden why thing. Um, but it is truly caring enough about the person that's waiting for you 90 days from now on the horizon line of your own life. I call it feeding your future self. If you sat here and thought about the landscape of the next 90 days, and that way off in the distance. Because you talk the horizon, about the 90-day year, don't you? As well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And way off in the horizon line. Well, I mean, and it's not, I'm not, I'm not even just saying it to like, you know, seed the idea of 90 day year. 90 days is just scientifically proven to create higher levels of activity with people on projects and goals than anything that goes beyond 90 days. Why? Because studies at Stanford, University of California, Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. um, University of Waterloo have shown that any goal or project that goes beyond 90 days creates high levels of avoidant behavior and procrastination. So, you know, and yet there are a lot of people who love to trot out these grand ideas of building a beautiful vision for your life. Visions are great, highly overrated when it comes down to the people who are truly succeeding in life. I mean, I, I get the chance to work with, you know, you know, whether it's multi, multi-millionaires in business, billionaires, pro athletes that are in the top 1% of their pro sport as well. And I can tell you, even in pro sports, maybe, maybe at best, 20% of the athletes that are playing in professional sports dreamed of playing professional sports. It is such a pervasive bullshit idea that there is that they since, since they were the age of eight years old, they dreamed of playing in the NBA or the NFL or you yeah. know some sort of soccer team. It's not true. Some of them accidentally basically found themselves there. Why? Because they just didn't quit. They stuck out their sport longer than other people. Okay. But what everyone wants to do is they want to pull the narrative from Kobe Bryant. They want to pull the narrative back from Michael Jordan or someone else and say, yep, see, Michael Jordan made it because he always sat in his bed dreaming about the moment he was going to get drafted into the NBA. Doesn't work that way, gang. I can tell you after working with thousands of them that it doesn't work that way. Hmm. So vision is so overrated um, when it comes to really people going out and succeeding and, and winning at their lives. So getting back to your question though, is that feeding that future, feeding that future self. If you imagine, so if I imagine that Todd, my future version of myself is waiting for me 90 days from now, I want to every single day take the actions that when I meet myself 90 days from now, I am going to greet myself with the biggest high five and fist bump or bro hug that there is. And then hear back into my own ears. Thank you. Thank you for having the disciplines and the decisions every single day so that I can be where I'm at right now. Because there are a lot of other decisions and disciplines that you could have done every single day, whether it was, you know, eat the wrong foods, not show up and attack your calendar every single day, like a dog to a bone, trying to hunt and find all of those different little, little revenue engines that are out there waiting for you to go out there and help them right? Because it's very easy to go hide in administrative tasks. Yeah. But thanks for not being that guy. So you have got to like yourself enough to go do that. Now, here's the rub. It's exactly why I wrote the book. Because there are a lot of people whose current identity, the way that they see themselves, they have a tough time fighting for. Hmm. And, and yet, psychologically, we will do more for other people than we will for ourselves. It's proven. I have now seen it since I launched the book. And, and again, it's had a lot of critical acclaim. It's you know hit bestseller list, all this kind of great stuff. I could care less about that. What I love is seeing the Instagram direct messages or the Facebook messages that go into my other folder or LinkedIn or whatever the case is from people unpacking the wins that they've gotten from it. Hmm. And, and what I see happen over and over again is people say, oh man, I heard you talk about how 
like unbelievable this is for young kids. I started using this with my sons or my daughters and you know, my daughter just went off and she won the, her track and field championship. She wasn't even rated in the top 10 da, da, da. and I'm like, Hey, this is all great. But what the hell are you doing for yourself? What are you doing so that you lead that best life for mm. yourself? Mm. Cause mm. we do that. And so anyway, the power of, and again, this is to the, the, this is now kind of transitioning towards the book, but an, an alter ego that you, that now becomes your trusted friend and ally to go out onto the field of play of life and take the actions that somehow you don't think that you can do right now under your current identity has been my secret sauce. And the thing that I'm well known for in pro sports is going out and building alter egos for athletes to go out of the field because what it does, it's the fastest path to help me get them into that zone and flow state. Yeah. So is that changing their mental story um, as well yep. as tapping into that emotional state? Because I, I sort Massively. of feel that, that, you know, my own experience, but even looking out there that people can, you know, they can really go, okay, 90 days, this is what I want to do. And this is the action yeah. that I want to be taken and how I want to thank myself and blah, blah, blah. Then they get out yeah. there and they don't have that level of confidence. They don't have that really uh, buy into that belief to get them there basically. Mm-hmm. And they start having those blocks and, and obviously then, you know, get to the 90 days and you go, oh, that's just who I am. 100%. It's, 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 and now it's, now it's back to aligning the, the mental, the emotional and the physical self again. Hmm. Right. And so exactly. It's, it's about helping people to step outside of their own narrative. Again, what the, the number one genre of movies today is what? The number one genre. I don't know. You know, it's superhero movies, right? I mean, what Avengers oh, okay. just, yes. just yeah. absolutely destroyed the box offices. Um, and so, and so why is it? Well, it's not because they've got a better marketing machine than other genres. Um, it's because it's tapped into this archetypal type sort of connection that we all have that a, we look at them and you go, some of us go, man, I'd like to have a superhero. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think if I could have a superpower, I'd love it to be teleportation. I love the idea of me sitting across from you in, uh, in, uh, Queensland right now and, you <laughs> know, having this does. conversation yeah. and then, and then I can teleport off to Italy, grab a little espresso and then be on a beach. And, you know, that's, that's fascinating to me to be able to do that. Who's your favorite, I don't have favorite superhero? Uh, my favorite superhero, you know, it's, it's a yawner to most people still, but it's still Superman. I grew up with, um, that Superman, those Superman movies in the 1980s. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. still, I still love those ones, but my, my, probably my new, my, uh, my new favorite one is I do like, I do like the story of black Panther. That's a great one too. Okay. So, yeah. um, anyway, so really it's, it's, yeah. And I, I get that like the superhero yeah. movie, cause I'm, I'm a big fan, I, I suppose of Batman. Um, yeah. and you know, I, I sometimes tap into that and go, geez, that'd be the life, you know? Uh, yeah. for whatever reason. And I guess that taps into some sort of inner values that we have as well. And that's why we p- yeah. probably connect with some superheroes and others, but also there's some Absolutely. part of us that are conditioned because we grew up with that, you know? Yeah. And, and so those, so, so, so that genre of movies is the, you know, most popular right now. And, you know, and, and so we look at those superpowers and we go, oh, I wish I had that. And yet we do the one superpower that human beings have, the thing that separates us from every living thing on this planet is our creative imagination. Our ability to suspend the disbelief about what we think we can and cannot do and act in a different way because we associate ourselves to a different identity is something that we have got the ability to do. We can create stories and we can create narratives in our own mind. Nothing else on the planet can do that. Hmm. And so people overstep that. They don't see that as the, as the great superpower. The thing that's been trotted out 
for a century now as the great you know, separator for humanity is willpower. Willpower is so weak when it comes to the creative imagination. Willpower is from the conscious mind. And the conscious mind, when it's staring down at the rumbling elephants of the unconscious mind and all of the different, you know, beliefs and narratives that you have about what you think you can and cannot do is no has no power over the unconscious mind. Gotcha. But the creative mm-hmm. but the creative imagination is the great backdoor to performance. And so that's what became my my method of helping people get past whatever they felt their own self was and create a new identity for you know, on the field or, you know, for the entertainers that I've worked with, you know, here in Broadway or on, um, in television and movies or, you know, executives. And, and the, the thing that you cannot, I wouldn't allow a listener right now to mentally opt out with. And you go, Oh, well, I can see that happening for an athlete, or I can see that being right for an entertainer. But, you know, I don't go out and perform under the white hot lights of something. Yes, you do. Every single day you do. Hmm. Performance is simply whatever your result is that you're getting. That's what performance is. You know, if you're going home and you're taking a tired ass home from work every single day because you've just poured all of your energy into your work and now you're going into the walking through the threshold of your door and you don't give any sort of energy or love to the people that are at home. Well, that's a pretty shitty performance in my world. Hmm. Like you're better than that. You know, and don't tell me that you just wasted your energy all, all day long because here's what I know. Human beings have a phenomenal capacity for energy. There is, there is, there is always a reset button that we can hit. And it's not limited to how much caffeine you've drank that day or the types of foods you've put in yourself that day. It's a mental game thing, which then stimulates the emotional self. Yeah. So. You know, yeah, and building I feel like out. that sometimes, but I don't know if it's connected with this alter ego idea, but um, certainly sometimes later in the day, I'm just like, ah, you know, it's just coming to that point of the day where you're feeling a bit down tired and then you sort of pick yourself yeah. up and find this uh, superpower from somewhere that um, yeah. keeps you going to that next activity and, and pushing you on. And, and I've only found that because of of some certain affirmations that have allowed me to, you know, say, this is who I am, this is what I want to be doing. Um, that yeah. then gives me that energy to just go, yep, just do it rather than procrastinate and then allow my, um, my mind to, to win that negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that too is, you know, I, I've been teaching meditation since 1997 when yoga wasn't even cool in 1997, <laughs> I mean, yeah. for yeah. crying out loud. And so my ability to get my athletes back then, and again, I wasn't working with pros back then. I started at the, you know, you know, the bottom of the rung with, with young amateurs, um, and you know, my ability to get those young athletes and then even into the early two thousands, people to get into meditation was, was a challenge, but mm-hmm. I came at it from a scientific point of view. I'm like, listen, if you want to get stronger biceps, what do you do? You do some arm curls, you do some sort of back exercises. That's what's going to flex that yeah. bicep muscle and make it stronger. Well, if you want to become way better at focus and concentration abilities, because when you look at the, um, press conferences of coaches in games where they've lost, whether it's the AFL championship or whether it's the NFL championship game or any championship game, they go, you know what? Five minutes cost us the game. All we do, we lost our focus, right? Okay. So if, if that's the case, if everyone keeps on blaming focus and concentration, then what are you doing in order to build up focus and concentration? Cause it's a frontal lobe activity. Hmm. Well, meditation, meditate. It is undeniable 
that as a long-term strategy, meditation isn't the most powerful thing that you can do for yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically. So I'm looking at it pragmatically. I could care less about whether or not you wrap a bunch of spirituality around it or whatever the case is. Just pragmatically, if I meditate for 20 minutes in the afternoon, the science shows that it's worth anywhere between three to six hours of restful sleep. That's what, that's what the data tells us. It's crazy. Well, hmm. if, if, I've, if I can walk through, the, it, that's like teleportation right there. If, or if that's like time travel, sorry, not teleportation. But that's I've just earned three to six hours. There's so many people, and, and you can hear a lot out there now with the meditation and the science that's coming through on it. You know, if you could sell meditation on a pill, it would just be the best invention ever. Yeah, um, because you keep sure. hearing the people that, that come through genuinely coming through yeah. and saying that they're, they're feeling the benefits. And, you know, I don't see perhaps the benefits as greatly as some other people, but certainly in the last few years of me trying meditation, and I mean trying because I, yeah. I feel like a spastic doing it still. But, um, <laughs> you know, giving this meditation thing a go has been um, fundamental in my my overall happiness, my calmness, my ability to perform day to day as well. So, yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, Jer- Jerry Seinfeld. You know, twenty years ago, when when they asked him about his writing ability because he was ranked as the number one comic in the world in the late nineties, uh, and he said, you know, I feel like you know, just like Superman has his superpowers, my great superpower is meditation. And meditation has given me my superpowers. Um, and so he's been on the, you know, beating the drum of it for, for a long time. Hmm. Yeah. But, uh, so creating but yeah. this identity, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, yeah. getting the book would be a good step to help people start in this, in this process. But how can we, you know, how do we create an identity that, that actually is it's relative to, to what we want to do or just relative to the individual? How do we create yeah. an identity that we can then believe in? Because what I'm seeing, thinking is that, you know, I can I can get I could be this this sort of person and blah blah blah, but it feels a little bit false or a little bit fake. You know, faking it till you make it sort of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, um, that's a wonderful paradigm that the world of self help and personal development and leadership has thrust upon people for the last hundred years is getting you to worry so much about what other people are thinking about you that it traps you into paradigms that just do not exist. I have never heard one successful human being on the planet that I've had the chance to work with or become friends with ever talk about two words, authenticity or authentic self. And yet they are the most popular terms to get you tons of likes and loves on Instagram and Facebook because it's just, just pandering to the lo- <laughs> it's, it's just pandering to the lowest common denominator. Yeah, I love the way here's, you said that. No, look, yeah, here, here's the harsh reality, folks, because I'm not here to win friends and influence people because I could literally care less. I'm the, I'm the last person who cares about winning friends over. I will never be the most popular personal development leadership performance guy ever because I'm way too I – call, I call it out as it is, and it is this. When you face the mirror every night, which is typically the pillow on your bed, and you unpack your day, if you have any regrets about the way you did or didn't show up, or that I wished I would have spoken up when someone was dissing on my friend, or I wish I had raised my hand in the meeting when I had my idea, or I wish I would have opened up my mouth and said, well, hey, do you want to do business then? When it was obvious that the person was giving me all the buying signals in the world that they wanted my widget, or If you didn't pick up the phone when you had the inclination to call your mother and tell her that you loved her, and instead you went off to the next activity because you would feel uncomfortable saying those words, that is inauthenticity. That is you not acting through that most core part of you that you've got. Okay. So I could give two shits if someone felt like they were being fake. What I care about is how are you actually performing in life? Because- it creates two vastly different worlds. 
when someone calls their mom and says, I love you and thinks about it. One makes yourself feel really good that, oh, my mother, if she only knew that I was thinking of her right now, she'd feel so happy right now. Well, she's not going to know that you're thinking about her right now, but she would know if you actually called her and said it. Hmm. You know what else is going to make you smile on your pillow that night is if you had asked that person for the sale and they jumped at the chance and said, geez, I've been waiting the last half hour for you to finally say that. (laughs) Or if you spoke up when someone was, you know, getting in your friend's face at the local bar when you guys were having a pint and you said, you know, dude, back off or shut your mouth or whatever your kind of map or plan is to make that happen. And then you got punched in the teeth. You know what I can tell you? I think most people, I think more people should get punched in the teeth because you know what it would do? I've gotten into a lot of fights when I was a young kid. And after you get one, get done one fight, you, you realize really quickly that, oh, it actually doesn't hurt that much. Yeah, I got a couple of bruises later, but people need to get punched in the mouth for more, more in life. You know, strength is forged in the suffering hmm. and I like to choose my suffering. You know, there's a very, very famous guy that's out right now, David Goggins. He's become very famous by talking about his no, alter ego, Goggins, yeah. Goggins, right? Well, I mean, there's so many other examples and yet I'm handing people the actual playbook of how to go and create the exact same alter ego that's powerful, that actually draws out of you the most kind of real version of you, whatever that might be, as you possibly can, because it gets you past all of that bullshit narrative that's holding people back. And again, I'm coming from a, uh, I'm coming from a real and raw place. I mean, I, I was a 12-year-old kid that got sexually molested over the course of two days at a church camp by two men who singled me, singled me out and did that to me over the course of two days. I was a happy kid up until then. I, you know, I had the world by its tail, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, my world came crashing down around me. And it, that's why I got into the mental game stuff. I had to out of survival. Yeah. I had to, to try yeah. to master this, you know, basically demonic world that I was living on inside of my own head. Had multiple attempts for suicide growing up, but I still didn't want to quit on my desire to make something of myself. And I found and stayed really rooted in that creative imagination. And I found ways of building new identities for myself so I didn't associate with that and try to make it a part of my own narrative and describe myself as some kid that got raped or whatever. Yeah, mm. that thing happened to me, mm. but that's not who and what I am about. Yeah. All right? Yeah. And and so th- it's it's really important that people understand that we have many selves. We have many identities that we take out into the world. You're not just one thing. You've got one body, but I'm a dad to three little kids. And of course, like anyone who's listening to this right now is going to see, "Oh man, this guy's, you know, I've got a uh, he's a challenger personality type." Like those might not be someone's words, but of course I am because I I deal with extraordinarily ambitious people who are paying me a lot of money to help them navigate their challenging worlds and help them succeed and support them along that path. And so I need to help break those paradigms. I'm around people all the time who've got others that are hanging on to them, trying to use their names to benefit themselves. And yet I, I mean, even in my book, every single one of my pro clients is protected underneath my clause of uh, confidentiality. I'll never share it because I don't need to. Mm. I don't want to either mm. because trust trust is so important. But here's what I want to, the distinction I want to make is, but when I go home to my kids, the last thing they want is the challenging personality type dad to come home, especially after I've been, and it yeah, would, yeah, be yeah. yeah. would be very easy after flexing that muscle change for that, 10 hours. Change that hat. Exactly. So I change, when I, when I walk through the door, the identity and the self that I bring through that door is one of being playful, one of being spirited and getting, you know, they want that playful side. They want that fun dad. They want that get on the floor and play with them type person. And my inspiration for my, that identity 
to help me start off as a new dad because I'm six years in. But when I started out with that was Mr. Rogers, who isn't as well known in maybe uh, other spaces around the globe, but ran, you know, the number one children's program on public television over here in America and Mm. is easily, you know, for anyone can be the greatest inspiration for how you'd want to be as a parent. And so that's how I want to be when I'm there. And it jump into different characters. Well, yeah. And, but I mean, here's the reality. I'm not even stepping into a character. I'm drawing on the traits and the qualities that's what I'm really bringing forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though I'm talking about some tough stuff with people, at the end of the day, all this stuff is being playful. Like, imagine having a little bit more playfulness with life. Life's oh, very serious. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and again, going back to our, the, the very start of our conversation, what is the fastest path to the zone and flow state? You can't beat playfulness. You just can't beat playfulness. And how, how do we know that? Because from the ages of one to seven years of age, Children are tapped into the theta brainwave state. The theta brainwave state is where the zone and flow state lives. And when you take a look at one-year-olds, three-year-olds, five-year-olds, I'm surrounded by them every single day. They have an attitude of playfulness and they can get lost in, you know, they're playing with their dolls and creating worlds in their own minds. And yet we walk away from it and we forget it as adults. And we think that that's being too childish. And here's what I want to tell you. The moment you rediscover it, you're going to activate a completely different level of performance and a completely different quality of life for yourself. Hmm. Hmm. So so to your point, we always build an alter ego in context to a role or a field of play that's important to us in life. Hmm. Could be business, could be a different, like you can have many different sides of yourself in business. Like there's me as the leader of my business and how I show up with my team and on those team calls. But then I go out and do speeches. And and of course, that's going to draw out a different type of personality from me when I'm on that stage and commanding the stage and connecting with people from the stage. That's a different quality than I would be than when I'm on a Zoom call with my, with my team because they're distributed around the world. Same thing as when I'm doing one-on-one conversations with, you know, athletes that come into New York City or entrepreneurs that I'm meeting with or, you know, conducting small workshops. It's all different selves. And so all I do is I take a look at that field of play of that stage and go, Hey, what would be the most, you know, custom built, perfect version that I could take out there to win on that stage? So it's, it's, it's actually living and leading a life with extraordinary intention and that's driven by you from an inside out approach. I'm not doing it to do it to go and impress other people. I'm doing it because it's how I want to show up. How you want to run. Yeah. 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 So reading your book, you could expect to get out of that uh, a a fairly good idea about what this is all about, but also how to start tapping into those. uh, Not even, (laughs) yeah, not even a fairly good idea. You're going to get everything. If there's one thing that I, that I committed to do with my book, because I don't know about you, but I, I always got so frustrated anytime I read a book and, you know, the person constantly referenced, oh, and in my workshop, you're going to get, you know, I teach, you know, I teach a portion of this. No, every single bit of the process is in there along with, you know, the stories, the science of why it's so effective. No, all of the steps are right there for people. And, and I, and, and the way that I wrote it, it's, it's very much a, you know, after chapter three, it's very much a choose your own adventure. If you want to skip ahead and to chapter 14 and read about totems and artifacts and, and the way that we use items to help activate things, go ahead and read it. Because it's just going to create an open loop for you to go back to chapter, you know, twelve and learn and and learn about the superpowers that you want to be tapping into and the traits and all that kind of stuff. But no, it's all in there. 
I'll stick the uh, link in the show notes, guys. Uh, check it out, thehiddenwire.com. You can pick up a copy of Todd's book, and he's got plenty of other work there. Todd, how can people best reach out to you? ToddHerman.me is my home base on the interwebs. Yep. Um, you know, and for direct links ac- around the world for the book, AlterEgoEffect.com is another place. But you know, you'll have the links, and um, yeah, connect with me on social. Ask me questions. I respond to pretty much everything. Yeah, sweet as. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks, Todd, for coming on the show. Check it out at thehiddenwide.com. Until next time, peace, passion, purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon